I, I almost burned out trying to control things that I really couldn't control, getting overwhelmed and angry about some of the decision-making that I thought was poorly done, that was uninformed, but yet had a huge negative impact on people. So I was angry too much of the time. And as a leader who had always been about positive leadership and servant leadership and transparent leadership, I thought, how do I get back to that? This is completely undermining who I am and my values. Expanding possibilities, the mindset zone. I'm your host, Anna Malikian, and my mission is to support individuals and organizations to increase their impact while avoiding burnout. If you want to work smarter, not harder, I can help you. If you want to go from burnout to full engagement, let's talk. Reach me at Anna, A-N-A, at mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. You can also access all the episode notes, links, and other amazing resources at mindset.zone. Today, our special guest is Jennifer Thunderbay. Jennifer is the founder of Day One Ready, a consultancy that advises leaders and C-suite executives on how to prepare for the human capital challenge of mergers and acquisitions. And as a Fortune 500 C-suite survivor of not one, but three multi-billion dollars acquisitions, Jennifer has been on all sides of the deal equation and she has learned a thing or two about embracing uncertainty. She is an incredible keynote speaker, the author of Now What? And she has an amazing TEDx that was picked to be in the main TED.com website. And the title of that TEDx is Create Opportunity in an Uncertain World. So, wow, Jennifer, and welcome to the Mindset Zone. Thank you for having me. That was the most melodious sounding introduction of me I have ever heard. <laughs> you have a lovely voice, Anna. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's my radio voice or podcast voice that I so enjoy <laughs> as a way of connecting here with the, the listeners in the Mindset Zone. So let's speak about embracing uncertainty, because you are an absolutely expert on this. And uh, being in the business world of the mergers and acquisitions, or in our day-to-day, -day, that is in a, an accelerating change, I, I would like to speak about that. How do you help people embracing uncertainty? Well, I should first start by saying I was an anti-uncertainty person <laughs> in that my entire career was about bringing certainty to everything uh, in 15 years in advertising and then 10 years in marketing. All of my energy, frankly, was focused on data and focus groups. You know, when you're doing campaigns for your clients, What's going to be the, the most successful campaign? How do we go about it? You test and test and test, right? So it was obsessive <laughs> certainty focused. 
And after going through three separate multi-billion dollar acquisitions, as you noted, that was my first taste, frankly, of the fact that we it's always uncertainty. I had convinced myself because of the prior efforts that I had done to always bring certainty that just if you work harder, certainty comes. And that was completely blown away and blown up during the pandemic. But I had already recognized that in the merger and acquisition deals that I was navigating, that I never really had certainty. I had, I don't want to say foolishly, because I think it happens to everyone. And I don't think we're foolish about it when we think we can bring certainty. Maybe it was a bit of naivete, thinking that you can bring certainty So let me reframe a little, just dig a little bit on this, because I think many of people listening are exactly in that same situation. They are doing their best in their professions and life to bring some certainty in. Maybe I will reframing, bringing some control over the situation. Could you use the word control there? Right. And that's what... I learned in my merger and acquisition period of my career. And and frankly, you noted my TEDx. That's what I talk about in my TEDx is embracing uncertainty. For me, in order to do that, I had to focus on what I could control. I learned that initially in my M&A work because frankly, you have so many things coming at you. And this is in any business transformation. I speak specifically to M&A because that was my journey. But any business transformation, you always have waves of uncertainty coming at you. And you can get bogged down and overwhelmed by things that are out of your control, out of your influence. And so one of the exercises and things that I focus on with companies and individuals is first focus on what you can control. And for me, the three things that I focused on that I felt I could control were my talent, what I could bring, what's my unique gifts that I bring to something, the effort that I make against that, and where to put my effort, how to prioritize where my energy goes, and then my attitude. I mean, when you are facing uncertainty and waves of change, you can have a really negative attitude as you're just overwhelmed by it all. So recognizing that I equally could control my attitude, how I reacted to things and navigated them. So that's how I came up with my TEA framework, how to focus on what I could control and the steps required to be successful in embracing uncertainty. So, and I would like to unpack that, but before going there, I just want to take us a little bit, rewind a little, because is that there is nothing wrong in getting data. There is nothing wrong in having information. Absolutely. And that, uh, uh, I think, is important to underline. But I think your um, the ups and downs and the learning experience that you have in your, uh, mainly you, when you were in executive positions, is realizing that there were more things necessary than that. You still want the data, you still want the information, but you cannot just gather that to have the certainty of making the right decision. That was just one piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. And in the work, the consulting work that I do, that is critical. You have, particularly in business, you have to have data. 
to make informed decisions. It's impossible. Otherwise, you're throwing things against the wall and trying to figure out what will work. So the data is critical, but it can't be in isolation of the people factor of your business. And, and that in particular, in business transformation, it, you can't lose sight of that, that the data has to be complemented by, okay, how are people going to react to this? Because we're going to bring a lot of uncertainty to their world, to their work. How do we help mitigate the uncertainty that comes with this decision? And how do we help them navigate it? Yes, because that we are bringing the human potential of the people, everybody involved, and the human element as that uncertainty by nature. Uh, and at the same time, I think with the world that we live in at the moment, that is even more accelerated. Oh, exponentially. And I think we have to recognize this because at the core, and again, I would like your input about this, at the core, this, I love that you have this model, the things that we can control, uh, the talent, the effort, the attitude. Uh, and in many ways, this reminds me of my favorite quote of all times, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is the power of choosing our response in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And the, the trick is to understand that, that many times we don't have control over the trigger, over the circumstances that happen to us. Where we have the control is how we respond to that circumstances or to that trigger. Oh. Most definitely. And by the way, Anna, I, I need to say, I came at this through uh, have doing it the wrong way <laughs> for a lot of my merger and acquisition experience. The first multi-billion dollar acquisition experience, I, I pretty much did everything the wrong way. I, I almost burned out trying to control things that I really couldn't control, getting overwhelmed and angry about some of the decision-making that I thought was poorly done, that was uninformed, yet had a huge negative impact on people. So I was angry too much of the time. And as a leader who had always been about positive leadership and servant leadership and transparent leadership, I thought, how do I get back to that? This is completely undermining who I am and my values. And so it was really after going through those three acquisitions that I came up with my framework because I thought I, I learned a lot of lessons along the yes. way and I wanted to share with other people. I, I'm confident you're having some of the same experiences I had early on. It can be frustrating and, and depressing. You go through the stages of grief, but there's another way. And here's how to focus on what you can control and the benefits of doing that for yourself, not just for your career, but your own mental health and stamina. Yeah. We are humans and we are not perfect. And we have this capacity of learning from each other. And you are in a mission of sharing what you have learned through these painful experiences to help individuals and organizations really be able to leverage the situation in a way that is beneficial to most. Yes, that's I'm on the quest. Love it. So let's speak about your TEA, talent effort, 
attitude. So tell me a little bit about each one of these. This came through a lot of self-analysis, but equally was informed uh, when I wrote my book. I spoke to a lot of C-suite executives, HR leaders. Uh, I really wanted it to, it was a social proof for me, right? To really make sure I wasn't the the only one thinking this way. And what came through consistently is when we're faced with a lot of uncertainty, that overwhelm can have us stretched so thin, you've got to preserve your energy. You really need to be smart about where you're putting your energy. So really, it was after talking to so many different people who had gone through either a merger and acquisition or business transformation, and I recognized that getting critical on what your talent is, what is the unique contribution that you can make? And, and oftentimes I think we think our talent is our job description or the degree we got in college or graduate school. Our talent often aren't those things. And so taking the time to figure it out, and it's an exercise that I do with executives, both in my keynote and in workshops, right? Writing down what is that thing that sets you on fire that you could do for hours on end? that you, you almost lose track of time. And then having people equally write down, okay, now what are the things that people who you work with, or you know, it could be friends and family, but really people who you work with, what are the things that consistently come up that say, Jennifer, I need your help on this. You're so good at this. And then finding the intersection of the thing that lights you up, plus the things that people talk to you about that you, they feel you are uniquely skilled at, oftentimes unveils to you a talent that you didn't even realize you had. And it's fascinating to me when I've done workshops, how often people will stand up and say, you know, I didn't realize it, but my unique talent is writing. People come to me for editing. They want me to write emails or look at their emails, or they'll come to me and have me look at the PowerPoint. Does it, does it follow a linear path? Like I didn't realize writing is a key skill that I had. And so I just use that as one example of really taking the time and using people's outside perspective to help you get clear on what your unique talent or talents are to help, again, focus on that, how you bring that to every project, to, to how you move forward in your career. I love that. And so it's their strengths, where is their areas of strengths, their unique talents. And I love that the nuance that is not, not just what you think, not just what other people say to you, is that point, the sweet spot in between the two, something that energizes you, something that you can be in that flow of the high performance there, and something that other people also find valuable. Right. And, and I learned um, myself that one of my unique talents is writing. I never... I never thought that was a talent. I mean, I was a marketer, right? Everything's in bullet points. <laughs> you know, it's just like oh, three bullet points and I'm out. Like it was, how do you speak succinctly? Uh, but over time, I realized that was a, a talent because of how people reacted yes. to it, how people told me, oh, I love how you write. And I thought, really? I didn't, I didn't know. And I'm so thankful to just know it because then you want to, you want to work harder at it. You, you find joy in it particularly when you realize other people value that talent as well. And then how you leverage that in so many different ways, because I follow you in LinkedIn 
And I love reading your posts because you know how to communicate in a clear and emotional way to your writing. Your book is so wonderful to read because you bring that skills there to the book and makes the reader experience much more enjoyable. And your talking is also bringing that capacity of communication and bringing all those skills together. We can see that when you are doing your TEDx or your the keynotes, you have all that there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm always flattered mm-hmm. when, when, when people say that. I, uh, I jokingly gave myself the title Chief Humanity Officer at the beginning of this. And uh, I'm just thankful when people say, oh, you are such a good Chief Humanity Officer. <laughs> yeah, you bring the best out. Yep. I, I, I try. Will agree that. I realize with a lofty title, you have to work harder to make sure you live up to your title. <laughs> oh, yes. So let's go to the next letter here and the, le- the next dimension, the effort. Yeah. So that that is one of those where I realized how critical I, I, the T, E and A together are critical. The effort for me, because I'm somebody who puts effort into everything. I think everything's equally important. I learned my mom was the same way. If I just put my effort into it, we can succeed. You can exhaust yourself. You know, and yes. <laughs> you will, we will burn, burn out on that path. And so for me, one of the key parts of embracing uncertainty was to not put so much energy into trying to bring certainty back. Right, not to constantly be be saying, okay, how do I bring certainty to this situation? How do I do that? You have to let that go. And so for me, that was a huge first step in my journey that embracing uncertainty is things are gonna happen. I've got to let go of the things that are out of my control. The other thing that I do again as a as an exercise is we can get overwhelmed. We have a mental checklist that we create of all the things that are bugging us, right? That we're putting an effort into. So I say to people, write that list right now, write out all the things that are bugging you. Now, I want you to look at that list and scratch out anything that's not directly in your control or that you can't influence and scratch it out hard because those are the things that are out of your control. They're taking up a lot of mental energy and you could put a lot of effort against that, but you may or may not succeed because it's out of your control and it's out of your influence. So stop wasting your mental energy on things that are out of your control, where you put your effort, you want to focus and prioritize it. So then I say, okay, now that you've scratched those things out, now look back at that list of things that are in your control or your influence and meet with your boss and meet with your team and get their input to prioritize that list. Because we, the other thing that we do is we think, okay, well, this is all the things on my list. Some of these things I can influence. You can waste a lot of time on things that aren't directly in your control, but you may be able to influence, but they suck up again, your energy. You need help prioritizing that list. And that for me, again, was a big part of my journey was just realizing how much energy I was, I don't want to say wasting, but be, was being drained from me on things that were out of my control and that I couldn't influence. So I love that. So is recognizing the role of the effort of the work. Oh, uh, love it. And knowing that like most virtues, if it's taking too far, 
becomes a problem. If we put effort in everything without being selective, it's like the recipe to burning out. Right. So the recognizing that we have to be selective, that we have to do the work, and you are speaking about, I love the exercise, you brain dump everything that is in your mind, and then you can really, what I have control, what I don't have control, and then also, again, not just you bringing others in, decided because we really have more, we are connecting beings. I think together we can achieve more. And, and the, if we are in a position that we are individual contributors, we always can ask for help, even if it's, we can get a coach or a colleague to help us on that. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the, but people that work in team, I think they should leverage the power of the team as much as they can to help determine what are the priorities and right. then to apply the effort in an intentional way. And it's critical. That second piece, Anna, is critical. And I, I can only speak as a female, uh, but I find that we tend to think, oh, all of these projects are important. I need to do a good job on all of these. You need to be willing to ask. I don't even want to say for help, but asking for guidance, right? not all of these things can be a priority. What is the priority? What will help the business most? What will help my team most? What is my boss looking for? Because if you aren't crystal clear on that, you could waste a lot of your precious energy and effort against something that had a lower priority to the team or your boss. And so for me, that's the critical piece of that exercise, not just identifying things that are in your control or influence, but then what, what's the priority? For that list. I love that. I still remember, and I had the privilege here several years ago to interview the author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that he says in the book uh, is that the word priority was until relatively recently, like one, two centuries ago, start to be used in the plural because the word in itself, <laughs> priority, means the first Yes. And by definition, the first is singular, is one. And I yep. think it just, I love the etymology, the origin of the words. And I think it's so interesting when we reflect about that. So how many firsts we can have? I know that the big organizations, there are separate priorities. That is why they are a big organizations and they have teams and all of that. And yet we have to recognize that we cannot pay the same amount of attention to everything. And it's important right. to know what is the priorities. And in organization, I think mainly in a merger and acquisition, so in the process of quick changes, it's really important to recognize if we are in a team that we can give it all, we can have the priorities clear, but sometimes our project ceases to be mm -hmm. the priority to somebody upstairs, so to speak, and not to take that personally. And I think you, you hit it. The part of the exercise that I talk about, not just to preserve your energy. I've had people come back to me afterwards and say, doing this exercise helped my boss and my team see everything that was on my plate. And I said, yes, Sometimes you have to act like a bouncer, you know, act like a bouncer. 
when you let people into the dance hall or the bar, you got to let some people out, right? So you can't, you can't just let people in and add on top of it. And I said, you need to be the same way with your priority list. You need to work with your boss and your team. If this is the priority, then we're all in agreement that these things are lesser priority. Because exactly as you, as you highlighted with the book Essentialism, I love that, that um, section of the book. Not, you can't have multiple priorities and expect to have them all done at the same time. We have a finite amount of energy. And, and frankly, I don't know about you, but my energy is <laughs> tapped out lately. So it's just how do you prioritize that? And the exercise can equally be insightful for your teammates and your boss. And it's so important. And also to find the time to recharge the energy, to regain that. And so we have the uh, talent, that unique talents. We have the effort to be very intentional where we put the effort in our priorities and communicate. I think you were referring also to be able to yeah. communicate in our lives and in our work. Uh, what are the priorities and uh, define an agreement on that. And then the A for attitude. Tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, well, this this, <laughs> this one, uh, particularly because I don't want to say I had a negative attitude in my first acquisition, but I, it was certainly a frustrated attitude. And I realized, again, it's focusing on what you can control. And I realized my attitude was one of the things that I alone, effort and talent, we've talked about that. And I've talked about the role that other people help, help you really get clear on your talent and help you figure out of your effort, where do you prioritize? But attitude for me, that is you and you alone. And you, I love the quote that you shared. And what I talk about in my, in my workshops or, or consulting projects is what I have found is asking myself two, two things, right? Particularly when you're going through it. The first one is, what is it that's triggering me? Why, why, what is it about this moment? Is it the person? Is it what he or she has said? Is it the situation? Is it really this moment in time or is this a multitude of things and it's just right now that it's just aggravating me? But really getting clear on, on what is it that triggered me? Because I find the greater self-awareness that you have when, when you're starting to feel a negative attitude. And, uh, and during my keynote, one gentleman talked about uh, airlines. Right? You know, when he's dealing with someone from the airlines, what's triggering him is usually it's a sea of things that happened with that airline. And he just lets the person in front of him and furls on them because it's just it's he's had enough. But he said, you're right. I and understanding what triggered me, what I why I was starting to have a negative attitude can help you pull back. The second is 10 years from now, will this moment in time really make a difference? Will I even remember this moment? Because I think oftentimes when you're in it and the emotions are raging, you just, you want to unfurl. But it's taking that pause and saying, how big a deal really is this? And I always use the future version of me. The future version of me really going to care about this moment in time? Likely not. Very, very rarely is that the case. And I think reframing the moment really helps people realize, okay, 
having a positive attitude, and this doesn't mean you have to hug the person, you know, having a positive attitude doesn't mean you're excited and happy, but it just keeps you from falling off the cliff into that negative attitude space to just address the moment. And I think I absolutely totally agree. Is the self-improvement is the self-leadership. And uh, but, uh, I feel the need to underline here for the people listening to this conversation that um, these demand some kind of mental fitness. So like yes. physical fitness, if uh, we don't have to do much effort, we can do the day-to-day -day things. But then there is like we have to suddenly to climb five uh, flights of stairs. And if we are not particularly physically fit, we when we arrive to the fifth floor, we are with any bread left. We need to sit and just recover. We don't. We cannot do anything else because our body doesn't have capacity for more. But in the mental fitness, sometimes we expect that we will be mentally fit when we most need it without doing the previous work necessary to be mentally fit. And then when the circumstances, like you were describing, uh, the plane is late or the plane is canceled. We have a very important meeting to be in uh, that now we know that we are not going to make it or be late and all that. All that is like climbing the five uh, flights of stairs right. and we arrive to that interaction with the other person in the other side of the counter and we unleash everything because we are not mentally fit and we bring all our other stuff there and let it go to the person that really cannot do much about it. Absolutely. And and you make a very good point. It's why it's T-E-A. Uh, and it's why it's in that order. I guess I could have done eat. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, the the attitude piece of it comes exactly because first I figure out my talent. That's where, you're, okay, I want to focus and and really lean into that. The effort piece, making sure I'm putting my effort, because to your to your point, as you laid out, you you have to have that mental fitness, and part of that is preserving your energy, really making sure that you're mentally not overwhelming yourself. So I'm gl so glad you made that point. Uh, I, I feel like you can't you can't get to that attitude piece until you've you're mentally fit, and you've taken the time to figure out where to really focus your energy and effort. Yeah, and we have to, I think, always pay off to start with the positive, to start there, and then we have we are in a better place to make that self work that is so important, but also means facing some of our less pretty sides. <laughs> yeah, and and again, I gotta say, all this framework I learned through hard knocks. I mean, I. I feel there's so many people right now facing enormous amounts of uncertainty. It's um, I my lessons learned came from mergers and acquisitions because there's so much uncertainty there. But I now apply it to life, uh, your your business and your life. Uh, it, in the in the need to just embrace the uncertainty, there's a certain release that comes with that and a recognition of okay, I can't control all of these things. But what I can control, my talent, effort, and attitude allows me to just have joy in the things that I can control and instead of being bogged down in the things that I can't be. But it came through a lot of you know, navigating, navigating the craziness of what we tend to face right now in business. Yeah. So, wow. 
Thank you so much for all of this. And where can people go to learn more about you, about your work in mergers and acquisitions, and of course, uh, on how to book you as a speaker? Well, really two places. Uh, one, my website, jenniferjfondervey.com. And, and I should say, Anna, that I, while I do M&A, thanks to that TEDx talk on embracing uncertainty, I've had the privilege of speaking to many more groups about just navigating uncertainty by embracing uncertainty. And what does that look like? And how do we do that? And frankly, that's been so much fun to talk more broadly about how to embrace uncertainty. And then the other places you noted earlier is LinkedIn. I post a lot on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. I try and bring humanity to business in my posts and try and inspire people. When That's one of the joys that I have when people read my posts. So please do follow me on LinkedIn as well. Love it. And I will make sure that I put both links on the show notes. And these hopefully inspire people to embrace uncertainty and make the best out of this. Thank you again for having me. Expanding possibilities, the mindset Thank you for listening. And remember to follow this podcast. And if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review that really help us spread the word about the Mindset Zone. Also visit Mindset.Zone. Yes, instead of .com, is .zone. There you can find amazing resources and more information about my speaking and how I support purpose-driven individuals and organizations increase their impact while preventing burnout. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world.